Okay, good afternoon, everyone. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the October 30th, 2023, regular meeting of the Land Use and Transportation Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I am Supervisor Myrna Melgar, Chair of the Committee, joined by Board of Supervisors President Aaron Paskin um, and Supervisor Hillary Ronan, who is substituting for uh, Vice Chair Dean Presson, who is out sick today. The committee clerk today is John Carroll. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, and I would also like to acknowledge Jeanette Englauf at SFGov TV for staffing this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. During today's meeting, please ensure that you've silenced your cell phones and other electronic devices you may have brought with you into the chamber. Documents that you have to be included as part of any of today's files should be submitted to me. And on October 17th, 2023, the Board of Supervisors approved a motion discontinuing remote public comment and participation at all board and committee meetings. Going forward, all public comment will be taken in person with remote access only being provided for those who require an ADA accommodation by request. Alternatively, if you have public comment, you may submit your public comment in writing. You can send an email to me, the Land Use and Transportation Committee Clerk. My email address is j-o-h-n-period-c-a-r-r-o-l-l at sfgov.org. Or you may send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's the Clerk's Office, room 244. City Hall's address is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit public comment in writing, I will forward your comment to each of the members of this committee, and I will also include it as part of the file upon which you are commenting. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of November 7th, 2023, unless otherwise stated. Thank you very much, Mr. Clerk. Uh, before we begin the meeting, I would like to make a motion that we excuse Supervisor Preston. On a motion offered by Chair Melgar that we excuse Supervisor Preston from attendance at today's meeting, temporary member Ronan. Ronan, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Uh, Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition. Okay. That passes, and I hope uh, Supervisor Preston feels better soon. Um, please call item number one. Agenda item number one is an ordinance amending the planning code to create the Wawona Street and 45th Avenue Cultural Center Special Use District to facilitate the redevelopment of a cultural center. Amending the zoning map to show the Wawona Street and 45th Avenue Cultural Center Special Use District and affirming the appropriate findings. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. We have Supervisor Joel Engardio here from District 4, who is the sponsor of this legislation. Uh, we have uh, Gabriela Pantoja from the Planning Department and John Kevlin, who is representing the project sponsor with us today, as well as uh, Liam Reedy with the United Cultural Center of San Francisco, uh, who is here to answer any questions if we have them. So I will now turn it over to Supervisor Engardio. Good afternoon, Chair Melger, President Peskin, Supervisor Ronan. I'm pleased to bring forward an item today for a project that needs no introduction. The Irish Cultural Center at 2745th Avenue has served as a storied neighborhood gathering space and culture institution in the sunset since completion in the 1970s. Today, we'll get a preview of the re-envisioned and redeveloped Irish Cultural Center that will serve the community for the next 50 plus years. I'm proud of the project sponsor's work to date and unwavering commitment to District 4, to San Francisco, and to the greater Irish community. With that, I'll turn to Gabby Pantoja, senior planner with the planning department, and Josh Kelvin to present on this item. I also have some non-substantive amendments to read into the file. Welcome, Ms. Pantoja. 
Hello, uh, good afternoon, Chair Magar, uh, Board of Supervisors, Gailara Pantoja of Planning Department staff. Um, the special use district before you um, is for the Wawona and 20, 45th Avenue um, Cultural Center, special use district. Um, it will facilitate the redevelopment of the Irish Cultural Center, which is currently located at the site and has been for the last 45 years. Um, some of the amendments include uh, um, providing, uh, uh, allowing permitted uses beyond the uh, first and second floors uh, that are currently not permitted in the NC2 district, um, allowing bulk and rear yard um, amendments through a conditional use authorization and rear yard. Um, this item was heard before the Planning Commission on July 27th. Um, yeah, it's a quick overview. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Ms. Pantoja. Stick around in case we have any questions. We also have uh, John Kevlin here on behalf of the project sponsor. Thank you, Supervisor. Supervisors, very quickly, John Kevlin, formerly Kevlin here, uh, on behalf of the United Irish Cultural Center. Uh, we're very excited to be here uh, today to be uh, processing the special use district to allow for the Irish Center's uh, redevelopment. Um, we've had great uh, feedback and support from both the Irish community, the neighborhood, uh, and really the the, uh, the city as a whole, who uh, is really this this Irish Center serves the community as a or, sorry the city as a whole, as we all know. Um, th these um, amendments to the planning code will allow the project that has been reviewed by the Rec and Park Commission and the Planning Commission to move forward. And uh, again, we're very excited to be here, and we're here if you have any questions. Thank you. Thank you, colleagues. Do we have any questions or comments from the? for the project sponsor or uh, supervisor and guardio. Okay, uh, seeing none, let's take a public comment, uh, Mr. Clerk, and then uh, supervisor and guardio, if you could read uh, the amendments into the record after public comment, that'd be great. Thank you, if you have public comment on agenda item number one, please come forward to the lectern, line up along this uh, left-hand side wall. Sorry, my left, your right. You can come forward. Eileen Boken with Speak, following up on two written submissions in strong opposition to the SUD and urging the committee to table it due to procedural irregularities and errors as confirmed by the California Coastal Commission staff. The proposed SUD is not standalone legislation. Rather, it interfaces with shadow findings, a CUA, and a coastal zone permit. Planning has issued the coastal zone permit, even though the Planning Commission approved it in error and it's inconsistent with the Local Coastal Program, or LCP. As a Coastal Commission District Director, the Coastal Zone Permit is improperly conditioned on approval of a special use district, which would require certification by the Coastal Commission as an LCP amendment. On September 1st, in an email from the Coastal Commission Director to the, of the North Central Coast District to planning, he states, and I quote, Rather, that application is required to be evaluated against the certified LCP, in effect, at the time the application is considered. Put another way, it sounds like your appellant is correct, end quote. This was reiterated by the district director in an email today dated October 30th. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen Boken, for sharing your comments to the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please? Evan Rosen, this is not a District 4 issue. This is a San Francisco and State of California issue. And this is not about whether we support cultural centers, which we all do. 
It's about following proper procedures under the statute and considering development in the coastal zone. Let's acknowledge that the planning department totally botched the plan check and review of this project. The department was seemingly clueless about the local coastal program and the procedures under the statute for considering coastal zone permit applications. This is evidenced by the September 20th, 2023 email from Elizabeth Waddy, Director of Current Planning, to Stephanie Rexing of the Coastal Commission, referring to planning's failure to embark on a public process of updating the local coastal program zoning component, Elizabeth writes, I have a hunch that ball got dropped on our end. So this committee is left with a series of procedural failures and putting the cart before the horse with an improperly issued and improperly approved coastal zone permit. We have the veteran district director of the Coastal Commission, Dan Carl, writing an email on September 1st to the planning staff stating, your appellant is correct, a coastal zone permit cannot be conditioned on a local coastal program amendment. But that's exactly what planning did. And just this morning, Dan Carl sent an email to me confirming his September 1st email. Dan writes, the use of a condition curing that inconsistency via a future LCP amendment does no such thing. What a mess. Let's table this SUD and give planning an opportunity to get its coastal zone development procedures in order. Thank you, Evan Rosen, for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number one? Please, if there are additional speakers, please line up along the western wall of this room. Otherwise, we'll take this last speaker. Okay, this is um, not about the, the, this is about the San Francisco coastline. It's not about the Irish Cultural Center. And this is about following the Coastal Commission legislation. And it's not about the Irish Cultural Center. Um, you have the opportunity, all of you today, to fix the air of the Planning Commission and not rubber stamp it. So we're giving you the opportunity to fix it because it is an error, and even the lady who stood up here from the planning department didn't have much to say about it because it's indefensible. So I would urge you to vote against this today. Take a look at it, and if you really want the cultural center to go forward, you might even you know, look at it outside of the coastal zone, perhaps 51st Street, there's a hole in the ground. There's other places downtown that would be much better for this thing, uh, the cultural center, rather than in the coastal zone. Um, you can have it downtown. You'd have public transportation. You have all, you know, BART. You have Caltrain's. You have Transbay Terminal. You have all of these things downtown to get people there. Out in the sunset in the coastal zone, we are blocking off roads, the Great Highway, and we are, uh, you know, there, there's no hardly any muni out there. So I would urge you to go somewhere else with this and vote against it and not rubber stamp it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon. So from what I've just heard hi, from the previous speakers, it seems there is something like a conflict of interest going on. So you should know, I mean, you should ask what kind of conflict of interest we must agree that weaponization of, you know, zoning, anything is not possible anymore. So we may, we, we, you need to make sure that, okay, 
there is no cover up because it's not gonna work for San Francisco and for everybody, basically. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone further who has comment on agenda item number one? Madam Chair. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Uh, Supervisor, uh, President Peskin. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, and maybe this is a question to Supervisor Engardio and I have amendments that are before, I believe, all of us uh, that speak to the state of California's jurisdiction and the requirement for a local coastal program amendment. Uh, and um, in reading this, there is a finding that I might be okay with, but I don't think I can find right now because I don't think I have the letter and can't make any representations right now that I can find this without actually having the letter, which maybe I have. I don't know. It's Monday. It's been a day already. But the finding at subsection D on page 3 incorporates a set of findings by the planning department dated today. I mean, let, let, let me just get to the basic issue here, which um, is the role of the state of California pursuant to the Coastal Act. And I think, and I'm not, this is not in opposition to the project, but this, I, I think the public commenter stated it right, which is respectfully planning completely blew it. Um, and this might fix that, but I can't say that without having, and my colleagues finding what's in this October 30th letter that is not before us. Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, I believe that letter was sent to the committee earlier today um, by Gabriela Pantoja. Okay, well, the chair doesn't have it. And, I mean, usually these things are in a committee packet before a hearing and the public gets to see them. And I read everything in my packet for several hours yesterday and the chair is nodding her head in agreement and somebody maybe even tries to bring them to my office and focus my attention on a really busy Monday morning. But I, I don't have, as I sit here, I mean, I can go scroll through the sea of red that are my emails from today I had, I had I was all caught up when I went to bed last night uh, yeah I see it in my inbox uh, President Peskin it was sent at 1 1 p.m. this afternoon yeah that that doesn't cut it so perhaps perhaps what we could do um, is um, have a supervisor Ingardio, read uh, the amendments into the record um, and uh, delay the vote until the end of the meeting so you have time to uh, read the letter. Um, is that adequate? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not the way I like to do business. It's not really professional or transparent. It's a three-page letter, four pages. Actually, no, it's a pretty long letter. Uh, D Supervisor Ingardio, 
Did you want to address these issues? Would, would you, I mean, I, yeah, I agree that a letter at 1 p.m. is not, uh, I mean, is there a way to, to continue this so people can, happy, happy to do that? Yeah, I'd be happy to continue it till next week and we can do this the way public business should be conducted. Uh, yes, uh, Deputy uh, City Attorney. One possibility would be to make the other amendments um, and not amend to include that finding today because this item will be continued um, and we'll be back before you in a couple weeks. That's fine. Okay. So should I yes, read you into can, the Yes, you into can read into the records all of the amendments except for uh, that one, uh, which is on page two, three. Let's see, page... Three D is the one that I can't, in good faith. Right, got it. Line ten. Okay, I'll skip that one. All right. Okay, I'll read into the page one, line one, adding local coastal program amendment into the title. Line six, insert amending the local coastal program to add the Wawona Street and Forty Fifth Avenue Cultural Center Special Use District, subject to certification by the California Coastal Commission. Page three, line four, strike proposed amendment and replace with planning code and zoning map amendments in this ordinance. And skipping the line 10, and now moving to page five, line 10, add operative date following section five, effective date. Line 15, add subsection B under section five, Upon enactment pursuant to this section five, the director of the planning department shall submit this ordinance to the Coastal California Coastal Commission for certification as a local coastal program amendment. This ordinance shall be operative upon final certification by the California Coastal Commission. If the California Coastal Commission certifies this ordinance subject to modifications, this ordinance as so modified shall become operative 30 days after enactment of the modifications. Lastly, on page five, line 22, Insert section six, transmittal of ordinance upon certification by the California Coastal Commission. The director of the planning department shall transmit a copy of the certified local coastal program amendment to the clerk of the board for inclusion in file number 230505. The planning department shall also retain a copy of the certified local coastal program amendment in its local coastal program files. Thank you. Okay, thank you, uh, Supervisor Serengardio. So I make a motion that we adopt all of the amendments uh, read into the record by Supervisor Ingardio. Roll call vote on that motion offered by Chair Melgar that the ordinance be amended as read into the record. Uh, on that motion, Member Ronan. Ronan, I. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Okay, that motion passes. I make a motion that we uh, continue the amended uh, file to next Monday. Hang on just a moment, Madam Chair. I believe that for noticing purposes, it is necessary for us to continue it to a later date. I'm sorry, till a later date, is that what you said? think that it is November 27th. Okay. So you're amenable to that, that recommendation? Supervisor, uh, President uh, Peskin, this was your request you, uh, to the 27th? So you said just to the 27th? Is that what you said? Sure. So okay. moved. 
Okay. A motion to continue as amended has been offered to the regular land use committee date of November 27th, 2023. On that motion, Member Ronan. Ronan, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no okay. opposition. That motion passes. Thank you. Um, okay, Mr. Clerk, please call item number two. Thank you. Just a moment while I catch up with my notes. Agenda item number two is an ordinance amending the public works code to streamline and authorize the approval of certain neighborhood amenities, also known as Love Our Neighborhoods projects in sidewalks and other public right-of-ways within the Department of Public Works jurisdiction to reduce fees for certain minor encroachment permits, to waive certain annual encroachment assessments, to clarify the approval process for commemorative plaques, and to clarify the permitting, revocation, and restoration requirements for all minor encroachment permits, and affirming the Planning Department's CEQA findings. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clark. So I am really excited that uh, Supervisor Ronan is here with us today to hear this item. Um, and we have Director Carla Short here from DPW. I'm uh, super excited that we're finally uh, hearing this legislation that we've been working on for so long. Um, I just want to start by thanking you, uh, Director Short, and also your wonderful staff for getting us to this point. Um, I specifically uh, want to just uh, heap tons of love on Beth Rubenstein uh, from Public Works uh, and Chris Tom from the City Attorney's Office for having worked out all the minutiae, and there was a lot of it. Um, I also, uh, you know, want to thank uh, Supervisor Ronan for uh, all her uh, work and attention to these issues. Uh, she's a co-sponsor along with Supervisor Stephanie Mandelman and Guardio and Chan. Um, and, you know, we are seeing post-pandemic a growing desire in our communities to uh, just bring joy um, to the public realm through beautifying and improving um, the, the surroundings in neighborhoods, uh, initiated by neighborhoods and community groups. However, through the years, it's just become really clear that our code is not really designed to make it easy for community members to, you know, have that love for the surrounding space and act on it. So this legislation was born in part because of an experience that we had in our district where uh, a super volunteer, Carol Dimick, wanted to paint uh, the bridge over uh, the Portola uh, drive and, uh, you know, met with lots of uh, problems and just doing something that was led by the community, performed by the community. So, uh, you know, uh, for us, you know, it was the Kensington Bridge, but for Supervisor Ronan, it was benches. For Supervisor Stephanie, it was the little libraries. There's, you know, uh, examples all around town of uh, neighbors wanting to do the right thing and then coming up against bureaucracy. Um, so, uh, you know, Carol Dimmick spent so many hours uh, picking up litter and, uh, you know, combating graffiti, graffiti and picking up, you know, broken glass. Um, and then when she, you know, took the effort to beautify the bridge, uh, 
she was uh, confronted with having to get a major encroachment permit to paint the bridge. So, you know, we want her spending the time to actually clean up and plant rather than dealing with a bureaucracy. So we resolved the issue. Thank you to you also, Director Short. But it shouldn't have taken that long or that much work from city staff to do something that was a good thing for the community. So what makes San Francisco so special is because of the warm-hearted, enthusiastic community members who love our city, love San Francisco, who are active, responsible, and willing to bring forward solutions and enhancements for everyone. So the intent of this legislation and why this is a major overhaul, um, it's, it's overdue. Um, so before I hand it over to Director Short for the presentation, I want to note that we had a lot of great feedback from some neighborhood groups and, uh, you know, most importantly, community benefit districts uh, around town uh, that are equally excited about this legislation but also wanted to provide time. Uh, for everybody to review it and digest uh, the latest version of the legislation and uh, have come up with some ideas uh, for cleanup and refining, refinement. So uh, I'm going to be asking the committee uh, for a continuance also to uh, just have everyone be able to review it and give it time. So uh, now I will turn it over to you, Director Short. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Malgar, Carla Short, Interim Director of San Francisco Public Works. Uh, good afternoon. Board President Peskin, Supervisor Ronan, thanks for having us here today. Uh, Chair Melgar, I think you did a beautiful job summarizing, so I'll go quickly through my presentation, but um, the purpose of this, um, as you noted, is really to create a process that is user-friendly, inexpensive, and better coordinated with other city departments. Um, I think that was certainly one of the big lessons I took away from the Kensington Bridge Challenge was you know, how do we try to streamline those approvals and coordinate with our sister city agencies so that the applicant is not faced with this sort of morass of bureaucracy that they have to try to navigate their way through. I do wanna note that this new permit addresses permanent projects or installations um, and not activation projects. And that is another great need that we are um, eager to work on in the coming months. So, in our process for developing this permit, we really um, tried to reach out, as you noted, to a number of stakeholders, and we heard the same kinds of challenges over and over again. And so we really, it became clear that the permit had to have certain characteristics. We wanted it to be an accessible process so that the diversity of different types of neighborhood benefits could all be included in this permit. Um, we wanted to have one point of entry, again, so that the applicants are not having to try to figure out all the different angles. Um, one point of entry, and then we will guide them through what other, whatever other reviews need to take place. Um, that interagency coordination. So we will, we will be responsible for that so that applicants can just come to one portal. Uh, we want it to be uh, transparent so that the applicants know what their steps are and where they are in the process. And then um, we wanted to coordinate the timeline with other city processes. So for example, if a community get group gets a grant, we wanna make sure that our process is able to meet their grant deadlines and grant timelines. Uh, we want this to be easy to achieve financially as well. Uh, as you noted, these are benefits to the community, so we did not want there to be a huge burden on applicants um, to cover all of the permit, uh, to cover all of the staff time. 
And then we wanted to remove any unnecessary or duplicative reviews. Um, I do want to note, as you did, Chair Malgar, that there will be regulations that we adopt as a department to help implement this, and so there's a lot of time for us to get all those details right to really make this very effective. Okay, so we've broken this uh, permit into three different tiers. Tier one has no permit fee and no annual fee. Basically, these projects are designed uh, for a property owner to place in front of their property. So things like little libraries, benches, planters. The, in this tier one, there would be um, one property owner is the applicant, and they basically need to register their project with us, and then we that's essentially the permit for them. Can I just ask one question about that? Sure. Which is the fee part on tier two and tier three, or in tier two and three, the applicant has to be a nonprofit. Tier one, the owner can be a nonprofit, but the fee only applies to, in tier one, nonprofits. I didn't understand that. So tier one, there are no uh, applicant fees. Tier two and three have application fees. Tier one is basically a um, kind of a permit registration process. And then in tiers two and three, the applicants are, it's designed for nonprofits, as you noted, or community, established community groups, and there are permit fees. Thank you. Thank you. So moving on to tier two. Um, so these are really, as, as um, President Peskin noted, uh, the applicants in these cases are meant to be nonprofit organizations, merchant associations, established community-based organizations. Um, there is a $500 application fee, but there's no annual assessment. And um, these types of projects are projects that are um, on, on staircases, city-owned structures, for example, bridges. Um, you see the Kensington Bridge mural on the right. Um, uh, more than one sidewalk bench uh, would fall under tier two. Um, painted or tiled murals on city assets like retaining walls or bridges. Um, and then sidewalk murals, for example. So in this case, uh, there is a, a modest application fee. There's also more coordination with other city departments and we would, depending on the project, need to coordinate with, for example, the Arts Commission for a mural, um, MTA on things like um, uh, murals on the sidewalk, for example, or the roadway, PUC, and fire department. And then tier three projects are projects that basically involve pretty significant infrastructure. Um, these are projects that would otherwise have been uh, required a major encroachment permit. Um, and I should note that some tier two projects might have previously required a major encroachment permit. So the intent here is to make the process much less onerous and also much less time consuming. Um, these could include things like sculptures, irrigation systems in the right of way, multi-amenity projects, um, major landscape in infrastructure. And similarly, this would um, be based on a nonprofit, CBD, merchant association, or community-based organization as the applicant. Um, and we would anticipate partnership with other city departments to review the proposed projects for tier three as well. So the three um, kind of components of the permit process is the legislation that you're considering here today. We will then develop regulations to go alongside this, which really um, are our internal processes for how do we um, approve these 
and what are the various um, factors that we need to consider. Um, there might be guidelines that we put out that support the legislation. And then we really intend to do a lot of communication around this. As, as I said, the goal for this was to be very easy for applicants. So we're working on having a very user-friendly web portal. Um, we're reaching out again to those um, various CBDs and others that we spoke to. We'll, we'll have broad um, communication around this and getting that feedback so that the regulations can be really um, thorough and make sure that we're trying to address those concerns. And then lastly, this is just a timeline. So um, there was some early discussion in uh, earlier this year, and then in June, you introduced the draft legislation. Supervisor Melgar, thank you. We had co-sponsors. Um, and then we were fortunate to get two positions uh, in our budget to support this legislation, which is really critical to keeping the costs down. We don't have to recover our staff time because those are funded positions. And so we've been working with the city attorney's office and the supervisor's offices to refine the legislation. And then over the coming months, we will be developing those regulations and our communications and outreach campaign. And with that, I am available to answer any questions. Thank you. Okay. Uh uh, Supervisor Ronan, is okay if uh, Supervisor Peskin asks a, a question because I know he's got a burning question. Oh, I, I just see that on page 24 under the fees section 2.1.1 at line 11, it says permits for tier one love our neighborhood's projects $200 permit application fee. Right, okay, thank you to Beth Rubenstein for clarifying this point for me. So the intention here would be that if uh, it does not meet the guidelines for a tier one permit under the Love Our Neighborhoods, that we could basically uh, have a fee to uh, issue a permit to a nonprofit organization under tier one. So the intent behind this is that most projects will have no application fee, and as long as they are able to meet the various guidelines that we put out for um, those tier one projects. But in the event that there is a proposed project that someone registers and it doesn't meet the guidelines, then that would be a permit fee that would enable us to get them kind of into compliance or to issue the appropriate permit to them. So a way out. So in other words, if it doesn't meet, for instance, the inches in length and depth for a front yard library, you could permit it, but they'd have to pay $200. Maybe Ms. Okay, yes, I think well, I'll invite Ms. Rubenstein <laughs> to go ahead and say to the microphone what she just said to me. Okay. Um, hi, Beth Rubenstein, Public Works. Um, so it's a, it's a uh, paragraph that the city attorney advised us to put in because it allows us to deal with nuisance projects. So tier one projects are registered and um, generally we don't anticipate any problems. Obviously, 
people can still call 311 if they feel like it's in disrepair or it's not within the guidelines and the reg regulations, and we would send an inspector out to look at it. But um, in most cases, it's probably fine. If in the case that it's not fine and we um, ask the property owner to like replace it or repair it or whatever, and they refuse to, and there, it, it allows us some legal recourse to put into a permit system. So it's something that was advised by the city attorney. So, but we, it's an exception. Um, if you, in the beginning of the legislation, it speaks to that there's, it's a register, we don't even call tier one a permit, we call it a registration, because it doesn't have a fee. Can I go to uh, Supervisor Ronan now? And then, oh yeah, thank you. Uh, Supervisor Ronan. I, I just had a simple comment and thank yous. Um, this became a major issue in my district around the same time it became a major issue in District 7. Um, in Vernal Heights, it was the, the benches in, in front of people's homes. Um, so I, you know, we needed a fix for this. I think this is such a thoughtful, well done, the different tiers and approaches. I just wanted to thank Supervisor Mulgar for taking the lead and uh, to you, Director, and, and your staff, Beth Rubenstein, um, I, I think this is just a really, really great end product. So thank you so much, and this will be so appreciated by the residents of District 9. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor. Um, you know, there's several projects in my district that I wish we'd had this for. It would have saved us so much, you know, staff time and energy and your staff too. So I'm, uh, you know, so grateful that this is here, but also thinking, oh man, if we had just had this a couple of years ago. Um, thank you. Uh, so if there's no other, oh, super, uh, President Pest. Thank you, and, and I totally welcome this legislation and Obviously, in order for it to work, it's just got to be simple and easy to comply with. Uh, there's a cool little library hanging off a tree on Filbert Street right by my place, and everybody loves it, and I have no idea if it has a permit or is registered, but it should be, and I think the only, it's been there for 30 years, and I put books in it, and I take books out of it, and so, I mean, all of that stuff uh, I welcome. I just want it to be as consumer friendly as possible. Uh, so maybe just relative to that notion around the fee, I can totally picture how somebody might not in the future read this section the way you just explained it. So I mean, I think, and, and I just reread 723.1 and cross-reference it to here. That's your intention, but it would be really easy for somebody to completely misinterpret that. So I think we need to write it better so it says that. Um, I also, uh, relative to the more complicated ones, like the tier three ones, I think we need to do everything we can to make this one-stop shopping. And where, you know, my local business association that is putting up string lights that go up and down Grant Avenue loses their sanity um, isn't when they go in and get the encroachment permit from you. It's then they've got to go do pay another fee at the PUC and they get another permit at the PUC and then they got to go to fire and they got to get another permit from fire and it's just like, can't we, I mean, it's great. They're registering with you or they're getting a permit from you but can we do something where they pay one fee, all three agencies are coordinated? I mean, kind of a little bit the way the 
shared spaces was supposed to work. You know, planning was supposed to be the front entrance for everybody, and then they were going to take care of all of the back of house stuff between different departments. Is there a way we can achieve that in here? And then I was talking to uh, some of the CBDs who I think as we continue this for a little while, some of them feel included, some of them don't, some of them have some practical suggestions, particularly monetarily, like, hey, if it's a thousand bucks, I mean, uh, for a little, you know, CBD like Lower Polk, that's a pretty large barrier to entry. Um, anyway, just, I, I know that it costs staff time and whatever, but anything that we can do to one, coordinate and have one stop shopping and two, to hold down permit fees, uh, free, free for tier one is good. Um, thousand for tier three in some cases may be onerous. Um, thank you, President Peskin. Certainly we uh, very much want this to be a one-stop shop. That is the intent behind it. We, obviously there are projects where we need to coordinate with other city agencies, but our goal is that the applicant comes to us and we will handle that coordination and that feedback and the um, connection with the other city agencies. So I think we're, we're definitely in agreement with that principle. Um, I can't speak for other city agencies and their fees, but our goal is to keep the fees down as much as possible um, and to make this very, very user-friendly and very accessible. That is definitely the intent. Um, I think we can, we will try to make the regulations as clear as possible to try to address all of the feedback that you're getting and make sure that everyone feels like they're included. We want to hear from anyone. Um, we're happy to take their feedback and see what we can incorporate into the regulations, um, again, to try to address everybody's concerns about that as much as we can. And the CBDs all now have a kind of alliance organization that they're a part of, which might be one-stop shopping for you guys. Yeah, thank you. Okay, uh, I think that's it. I will just add that you know the the tier three fee. Um, you know, I I I didn't hear you like sort of do the cost analysis, but it's for major projects. It's for things that will require uh, you know uh, expenditure of capital, and and I think this is probably more cost effective for the CBDs and other folks than the way it is now, despite it being more than. We wish. It yeah, would be. significantly less than a major encroachment permit, which would have otherwise been the, their mechanism right. for these types of um, installations. Okay, thank, thank you, you very much. Uh, I saw you, you identified yourself as interim director, and I keep saying director short, so thank you. Um, let's go to. Uh, oh, and if I, I'm sorry. If I may, go ahead. So, some of them, it totally makes sense, but for instance, an irrigation system extending beyond the fringe of more than one real property, I mean, that could be like a drip irrigation system. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not gonna pay a thousand bucks to do that. And if it falls into tier three by definition. So, I mean, to the extent that you have latitude and you can say, whoa, that's fine. It's tier one project, register it. Even though it doesn't, it's not a front yard library or bench. I mean, I, if there can be a kind of catch all where you can say, yeah, that does not require, I mean, it would never would have required a major encroachment permit. So I think, yeah, I think the tier three projects are really those projects that would normally have required a major encroachment permit that are going to require, that are either going to be, you know, requiring um, significant engineering staff time to ensure that they're safe um, or electrical engineering time. You know, that's the intention behind the tier three. So we will take that um, into consideration. But I think the principle that you're outlining is, is, is right. 
Yeah, and the same thing like with stringed lighting. I mean, some of that does not require major engineering. Anyway. All right. Lisa, okay. I think. No. Thank you, President Peskin. Thank you, President Let's um, go to public comment on this item, please, Mr. Clerk. Very good. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you have a public comment on agenda item number two, this discussion of the public, public works code and authorizing and permitting neighborhood amenities, please come forward to the lectern. And if you are waiting for your opportunity to speak on this item, please line up along the uh, western wall of the room. What is it? Uh, you may begin. So, uh, what is the goal? I'm not, I don't really understand your, your it's too complicated your, the way you, you talk. Uh, why should there be a permit to create, uh, to beautify stuff? Okay, the city has to focus everything on the educational aspects of any project. Why should there be a permit? Besides, who is your sponsor? SFMTA. So, um, what's the goal? I mean, the goal for San Francisco is for people to be happy using your yeah, beauty or joy, if you want to put that word. So, why should there be some kind of control? I don't understand. I'm sorry, I don't understand. I mean, you have to define that. Again, ask for if there is any conflict of interest. I'm going to repeat that again and again. Otherwise, we go, we don't know where we are going. There is some sort of, uh, it's another way of weaponizing something. I mean, it feels uh, not good. Thank you, Mr. Phil, for sharing your comments. The committee, could we have the next speaker, please? My name is Sharon Nakatsako, and I live in the mission. I have a couple of questions. What is, are you going to take into consideration the makeup of the neighborhood, like Chinatown, Mission? Um, you know, so that's one question. As far as this project, are going to be external projects, internal projects, the community going to be the one that decides what projects? The other question I have is, how many CBDs are there altogether? And how many, I know on the Mission Street, which is about 10, 12, 14 blocks, how, there's a lot of CBDs, there's three CBDs. How many of those are in the avenues? You talk about the drug users, the homeless, using the drugs in the street. They can't afford to go to those CBD places and, and smoke some weed. That's gentrification. Thank you, Yolanda, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hello, supervisors. My name is Scott Feeney. I'm a resident of the Mission District, and I wanted to... Um, First, voice my support for making it easier to put in uh, positive, pro-social, joyful things like uh, libraries and benches. Uh, but I have a concern around this legislation, and that is the uh, abuse of planter boxes as an anti-homeless barricade and hostile architecture. And I have a visual of this. Um, as you can see, I think there's like a clear difference between people putting out planter boxes because they like to garden and trying to fill as much space as possible because they think that a solution to homelessness is to just not have as much public space for anybody. Um, I'm concerned that this legislation uh, doesn't do enough to create accountability around that abuse um, of planters, which in some cases has really negative effects on accessibility, on transit, by blocking access to bus stops, and things of that nature. So I'm grateful to Chair Melgar for continuing this, and I'm hopeful that with some more amendments uh, to uh, put some strong uh, protections for walkability 
uh, and accessibility into this and apply those to landscaping infrastructure in all of the tiers that we can uh, get this to a point where it creates uh, joy and doesn't enable uh, harmful things that reflect hate rather than joy. Thank you. Thank you, Scott Feeney, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hello, uh, I'm Thais Arjo, the Associate Director of Community at the San Francisco Parks Alliance, and I'm speaking in support of this proposal. At the Parks Alliance, we work with community groups all across the city to implement public space improvement projects in their neighborhood. And I've seen firsthand how community projects can get caught up in bureaucratic processes that are just not the right fit for these smaller projects. One of our partners, the Gottage Neighbor Group, is working on a tile staircase project in Portola. And it's a beautifully designed and broadly supported project that once completed will be a great addition to San Francisco's unique collection of tile staircases. However, the group has been stuck in the Public Works major encroachment permit process for over two years, and it's been a challenge to say the least. I strongly support the Love Our Neighborhoods legislation as it will create a system that is more suited to smaller scale community-led projects such as Gottagen's. By waiving the fees and removing bureaucratic barriers, this legislation would ease the administrative burden of the existing permitting process and truly make it easier for communities to make their vision a reality. We'd like to thank Supervisor Melgar for your hard work in drafting this ordinance. Thank you. Thank you, Tay Sarjo, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hello, uh, thank you, Chair Melgar and President Peskin. Uh, my name is Janet Tarlov. I am here today representing the Legislative Committee and the Executive Board of the San Francisco Council of District Merchants Associations. Um, we are in support of the Love Our Neighborhoods Projects Ordinance. Uh, we would like to thank the many people who worked on this legislation and urge the Board of Supervisors to develop more legislation that intends to make it easier for organizations like SFCDMA and the merchant associations we represent to improve the environment for small businesses in San Francisco. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Chair Melgard, committee members. Uh, I just want to, I'm Andrew Robinson with the East Cut Community Benefit District and also here representing the Alliance of Benefit Districts. Uh, speak in support of this legislation. Thank you very much for your work on it. Thank you, Public Works staff, for the time and energy you've put into it. Uh, like many who have spoken, we too have projects in the neighborhood that we find the permitting a bit onerous, and this looks to improve that significantly. Uh, very much grateful for the continuation to November 27th, I believe is what was said, uh, as we want to sort of work together with the Alliance, Public Works, uh, supervisor staff to get this so that we're helping also the Tier 3. I think some of the questions that came up today are critical to us. So thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew Robinson, for sharing your comments. Next speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. Uh, my name is Jabez Wesley. I live in D3, um, and I welcome any efforts to make it easier for people to improve the public space around them. I think that's very important. Um, these free libraries are cool. Um, gardens are cool. Benches are cool. There's people holding space outside. Um, but I would like to echo the earlier speaker who uh, voice concerns about these planner boxes that have been going up, up across the city. Um, I mean, this is, it's very transparently a way to exclude people, all people, from public space. Um, it's, I mean, it's just like a one-ton metal box with, I mean, like, I mean, mo most of our gardens are so beautiful, right? People, like, really know what they're doing. They're, they're planting plants that, like, go together. But these are just, they're just throwing random plants in there. It doesn't make, it doesn't look good in any way. 
And I think there's got to be some sort of process that um, the public can weigh in on this so that people just don't unilaterally um, just take over the sidewalks for just cruel purposes. Uh, yeah, that's what I have to say. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your comments with the committee. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number two? Please come forward to the lectern. Either is fine. Say this. Uh, SFGovTV, uh, this speaker is going to have something on the projector in addition to providing comments. Please begin. Hi there, my name is Aaron Breitwar, District 9, um, local business owner. I teach skateboarding for transportation to elementary school students and I'm an advocate for small wheel transportation. Legally, skateboards are supposed to operate in the space of the sidewalk, so I just want to talk about this as a matter of uh, public right-of-way. Um, gardens, whether or not they are aesthetically pleasing, I think it's unreasonable to leave that up to a subjective debate. They're blocking the public right-of-way, um, both for skateboards and you know, general transportation as well as wheelchair access from street to sidewalk. I don't know if you can see in this, but we have two parked cars here on the right. These planters are between one pole down here and another pole right here, meaning if you get out of your car in a wheelchair, you cannot access the sidewalk. Same thing happens here. These are not planters. These are just barricades put down on 15th Street to block up from my house in District 9. I've spoken to building management here. They said they would rather have these here than people. This is what it looks like on the weekend when somebody has their stroller and they're trying to get out of their car. They are literally blocked into this space and unable to access the sidewalk. I think no planters should be allowed in the space of the sidewalk. We would not accept that in the roadway. We would not ex accept, accept any flow of traffic to be blocked. People who have walkers and wheelchairs are often pitted against skateboarders because we do not have enough space to share and enough space to yield to one another. I think it's inconscionable that we should allow these sorts of things and these sort of supposed aesthetic improvements to the space be allowed to compromise the mobility of people all across the city. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Please begin. My name is Michael Smith. Um, thank you, committee, for addressing this legislation. Uh, ten years ago, my neighbors got together in order to do a street planting where we would tear up the sidewalk, plant as many plants as possible. And there's really two issues. One is the bureaucracy and the cost, and the other one is the regulations. And we persevered with the bureaucracy and we got this planted, um, but it's really interesting to see about the regulations. Uh, because when we talked to the city and told them we wanted to put in as many plants as possible, they told us, well, oh great, but you have to make sure that you provide good access for everybody. Um, that means uh, a wide access for people with wheelchairs and strollers and everything else. We also had to provide ways for people to walk from the curb to the sidewalk and also for emergency responders to get to the buildings. And so the regulations were really key and we met all of them. And the result is that this is a project that is loved by everyone in the neighborhood. And I ask you, when is the last time you've dealt with a project where it's been 100% unanimous love? And so we want to see more of this. We want you to enable more good projects by reducing the bureaucracy and the cost. 
but it's important that you have good regulations. And for the regulations, it means that these need to be inviting, accessible, and not hostile architecture. They need to be beneficial architecture. But when we went through the legislation, found that there were several issues that um, need to be reworded. And so I ask you to look over the input that provided you. And unfortunately, it was just late last night uh, because I only found out about this recently. Uh, but there's several issues having to do with the actual regulations. Um, and a big one is that we want not just planters, we want plants, and so these need to be maintained. Another one is that DPW should not have full discretion over whether they do safety evaluations. They should Thank always you, do safety if asked for. Speaker's time is concluded. Thank you, Michael Smith, for sharing your comments with the committee. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number two? Madam Chair. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Uh, Ms. Short, uh, if you could address uh, the issue that several public commenters uh, talked about, which, you know, in the pictures and in the comments, there seems to be the opportunity to block access. Uh, in, in one of the pictures, it was a clear violation of the ADA. You can't, you know, block the entire sidewalk or, um, you know, folks uh, stepping off a car off the curb and, you know, navigating through this. So. Uh, you know, I, I realize that right now some of it is a free-for-all, and it's if somebody complains, uh, and we are, with this legislation, trying to put an order to it. So what would happen if somebody applies for a Tier 1 project, um, you know, registration, uh, which actually impinges on the public right away or blocks access? Yeah, thank you, Chair Malgar, Carla Short, Interim Director. So um, absolutely, we, ha as part of this, the regulations that we're working on now will have guidelines. And um, the whole reason that we have, want to have a permit process at all is really to ensure that the right-of-way is safe and accessible. Um, so if we were to get a complaint about a site where someone has registered, we would go out see if it meets our guidelines that, are, that will be established as part of this, and then if they do not, we would notify the applicant that these are the changes that need to be made to bring it into compliance with our standards and our guidelines. If we get a complaint and we go out and this person is not registered, then we would notify them that they need to make the following adjustments in order to comply and they need to register with us. If they fail to do that, then we can take enforcement action. So we do want to make sure that we have you know, a safe and accessible right-of-way. That is the intent behind this. And so that means, you know, making sure that there are accessible paths to get from the curb to the main path of travel. You know, the, the sidewalk landscaping guidelines that were referred to, that's every 20 feet you have to have a four-foot accessible path from the curb to the sidewalk. We also have to make sure that there's room for people to get out of their cars. So all of that will be in those guidelines, and a failure to comply with that would mean you're, you're really not eligible for that tier one self-certification. What happens at Director Short if somebody um, proposes a project that is compliant, you know, with a 20 feet and, um, and they register as a tier one project, but then they end up building something that's not compliant. They put in four planter boxes instead right. of one. And so what can, can, does the public have recourse in that 
instance. Yes, they certainly they should call 311. That's when we would send out an inspector and our inspector would go and, you know, we our goal is to try to ha these are designed to be beautification projects. So our goal would be to work with the applicant, tell them what they need to do to meet those standards and guidelines and hopefully we can work together to bring it into compliance. I do want to emphasize, you know, any any planters that would be part of this permit process need to be planted planters with plants. <laughs> Okay, thank you, uh, Ms. Short, uh, for all of that. Uh, so with that, I would like to make a motion that we continue this to our meeting in November 27th, uh, and we will have the time to look at all of the feedback from the CBDs and the neighbors and come up with amendments if needed uh, and hear it at that time. The roll call vote on the motion offered by Chair Melgar that this ordinance be continued to the November 27th meeting. On that motion, Member Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition. Thank you. That motion passes. Uh, okay, Mr. Clerk, please call item number three. Moment. Agenda item number three is an ordinance amending the planning code to first permit additional commercial retail and restaurant uses on the ground floor in certain neighborhood commercial districts and residential districts. Second, principally permit flexible retail on the ground floor in NCDs and Chinatown mixed use districts. Third, create professional services as a use category that may provide services to the public and businesses and delete non-retail professional service and retail professional service use subcategories. Fourth, create regulations for music entertainment venues and nonprofit theaters distinct from regulations for bars. Fifth, allow limited corner commercial uses in certain retail districts. Sixth, conditionally permit formula retail and restaurant uses in certain commercial and residential districts. Seventh, amend section 311 to remove neighborhood notice requirements for changes of use in the eastern neighborhoods mixed use districts. Eighth, expand business types that qualify for the planning department priority review program. Ninth, clarify that multiple allowable uses may co-locate on one site. Tenth, clarify and modify various other use regulations and processes. Eleventh, establish a process to legalize certain unpermitted outdoor activity areas, including restaurant patios. Twelfth, permit additional retail and non-retail uses in specified NCDs and affirming appropriate findings throughout the ordinance. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. We are now joined by uh, Director of the Office of Small Business and former Supervisor Katie Tang. Welcome. The floor is yours. All right, thank you. And I uh, have extra copies of the revised legislation with amendments here, as well as the summary of amendments that we'll go over in a moment. So good afternoon, Supervisors. Uh, Katie Tang here on behalf of uh, Mayor Breed, who has sponsored this legislation before you, which is also co-sponsored by uh, Supervisors and Guardio, Dorsey um, Malgar and Stephanie. So uh, just to go over some of the goals of the legislation here today, um, I know every day uh, we're reading in the news and hearing from all of your constituents as well about um, the challenging environment it is to operate or to uh, create a new small business here in San Francisco. And so all of the goals in this legislation here are to help make it easier for both new as well as existing uh, businesses during this challenging time. So uh, the top goal is we want to reduce the number of barriers for small businesses, uh, especially when they're trying to open a new storefront or expand into a new uh, brick and mortar location. 
The hope is also to allow businesses, both new and existing, greater flexibility to adapt to the changing times that were caused not only by the pandemic, but also due to shifts globally, um, as we've all seen uh, in consumer behavior, more shopping do, uh, being done online. Uh, we hear time and time again in our outreach that businesses want uh, additional flexibility to adapt and to create more experiences for people. Uh, thirdly, we want to allow more businesses to open without having to go through the months-long conditional use authorization process, and so that is why this legislation uh, principally permits a lot more uses on the ground floor throughout the city, and so that would reduce the, um, the ability for appeals to cause even longer delays. And as you all know, a lot of times when businesses are starting, they have to pay rent while they're waiting for their permits to go through, and yet they're not generating uh, any revenue at that time. Uh, fourth, we want to allow more businesses, uh, business use types to open on the ground floor to provide more options in filling vacant commercial ground floor spaces. Uh, we all know that's quite abundant right now um, throughout the city, so uh, anything we can do to, to create more options for filling those storefronts, uh, we certainly want to pursue those. And then lastly, we also want to address challenges for venues that provide entertainment and our alcohol. Uh, we know that they had a particularly difficult time uh, during the pandemic and uh, recovery has, has also been challenging for them. So next, uh, just to dive a little bit deeper into some of these changes, um, in terms of the goal of giving businesses greater flexibility to adapt to um, the changing times, we are planning to uh, expand flexible retail use citywide and to um, allow them as principally permitted on the ground floor. And just as a reminder, this uh, flexible retail use gives business an ability to change between six different uses uh, without going back to the city each time for those permits. Um, note that it will not override existing controls in a particular NCD or NCT, uh, so those district controls still are in place. It's just that if for those six uses, uh, people can go back and forth um, easily. We are also uh, proposing to clarify in the planning code that multiple uses are permitted in the same space. So clarifying because it's already allowed, we're just making it abundantly clear in the planning code. Next, in terms of allowing more uses on the ground floor, um, so right now, um, non-retail professional service uses, which you might think about like uh, an accountant's office, a travel agency, or sorry, not a travel agency, an accountant's office, um, mostly business-to-business uh, -business type operations, um, those are actually currently not permitted on the ground floor citywide. So we would like to propose to allow them on the ground floor with a conditional use authorization in most neighborhoods. Uh, also want to allow health services on the ground floor as either principally permitted or conditionally permitted in most neighborhoods. Um, there are some where they're not permitted and will continue to be. Next, in terms of restaurants, limited restaurants and bars. Um, these can be some of the most challenging businesses to open in San Francisco. Uh, so currently, several commercial corridors have restrictions in place for restaurants, limited restaurants and bars. Um, some of those restrictions include just flat out not permitting them, uh, or there's a cap on the number that can be established, or there's a requirement for a conditional use authorization. So this legislation would lift some of these restrictions on restaurants and limited restaurants in China town along H Street and Terraval Street and also currently with regards to bars they're not permitted or are restricted along H Street Sacramento Street Union Street and in the Mission and so the ordinance would propose to lift restrictions uh, on bars in these areas 
And then with regard to the Mission Street, um, there's currently a cap of 167 um, in terms of the number of restaurants, limited restaurants and bars, and working with the community there are proposing to increase that cap to 179. Next, with regards to liquor licenses, uh, earlier this year, uh, the state had uh, created a new liquor license type, the Type 90, and it's the Music Venue Liquor License. So this would authorize the sale of beer, wine, and distilled spirits um, at retail for consumption um, on the premises of a music entertainment facility. The notable feature here is that this uh, liquor license type allows minors on the premises, and it actually gives venues, I think, another option to expand to uh, a different kind of clientele, so a uh, different customer base. So although the state um, has uh, created this new liquor license type, uh, it hasn't been incorporated into the San Francisco planning code, and so we are making changes throughout the code to uh, allow for this to... Um, uh, I mean, it's already allowed, but just to make sure that our planning, local planning code is consistent with the new Type 90. And then with regards to public notice, uh, we are proposing to remove public notice requirements in Eastern neighborhoods mixed-use districts for change-of-use projects. So for example, if you're going from a coffee shop and then you're going to decide that you want to change to sell plants instead. Um, and so this would uh, notably expedite the permitting process by reducing the 30-day public notice and the appeal process for businesses changing use. And you could see here on the map that uh, under Proposition H, which was approved by voters in November of 2020, all the areas shaded in yellow are the areas where voters said, you know, we don't need businesses changing from one use to another to go through this neighborhood notification process. And so we are aligning um, the, the rest of the city with this so in the eastern neighborhoods mixed-use districts where you see um, the color shaded, or the map shaded in uh, magenta. And then with regards to nighttime entertainment, bars, and restaurants. Um, so currently, um, nighttime entertainment, bars, and restaurants cannot participate in the Community uh, Benefit Priority Processing Program, otherwise known as CB3P. And what this program does is it allows for a more expedited permitting process. So a business applicant or an applicant would be guaranteed a planning commission hearing within 90 days of filing a complete application and they would get placement on the Planning Commission's consent calendar. Um, as a reminder, uh, even though you go through this program, you still go through the neighborhood notification, there's still an appeal process, um, and so projects can still be appealed to the Board of Supervisors. We just wanna be able to give these um, businesses that opportunity to get through the queue faster at Planning Commission. And, um, and so those would, these uses would be able to participate in this program. And per planning department recommendation, we are um, uh, adopting the recommendation to uh, merge this with the uh, codified program, um, the expedited permitting process program under the planning code. Um, and just noting here that uh, the mission district businesses um, are already excluded from the program and um, per amendments coming up, North Beach businesses will as well. So in terms of outreach, uh, these recommendations were informed by weekly merchant walks, talking to business owners one-on-one, -on -one, um, asking them what they think is needed in the communities, case-by-case um, -case business and permit counseling with prospective business owners and also existing business um, owners who want to expand. So 
last year we started a new functioner office where we have two new um, small business permit specialists. And so in seeing uh, all the cases that come across our office each day um, have found areas where businesses get tripped up in the permitting journey. And so this legislation really seeks to address that. We have ongoing conversations with merchant associations, and then also, of course, we've spoken with uh, all the supervisors' offices as well for your input. So that's a summary of the legislation. Uh, we know and recognize that uh, with all the different amendments that have happened, it looks uh, a little bit messy <laughs> the legislation um, and then today we also have requests for amendments uh, some of these um, a lot of these actually were addressed at the planning commission and so now we're um, trying to take action on it and then subsequently we've also had conversations with many of the supervisors and um, you know continue to follow up with the merchants associations and so additional changes were requested afterwards but many of them actually would revert uh, to existing code and so um, I know you all have a summary with the page and line items, but if you'd like, I can read them all into the record, but it's a lot. So um, I'll defer to you, Chair Malagara, on what you'd prefer. Okay, uh, let's uh, hear the discussion first, and then you know we will act on it, including that. Uh, President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Malagara and Supervisor Ronan, and I want to thank and acknowledge uh, my former colleague, the director of the Office of Small Business, for her work and for uh, collaborating with my office and I think other offices. Um, and then I want to say as a threshold issue, because zoning is relatively predictable, which doesn't mean that we shouldn't change it. And indeed, I had the CU uh, as in conditional use, CU sooner legislation, and this is kind of a continuation of that and making it uh, easier and more straightforward for small businesses uh, is absolutely something that we should uh, embrace. But I think we should also be honest with ourselves about some other threshold issues that drive small businesses crazy and are much less predictable and are actually in some ways much more important. Um, and I'm sure you all have anecdotally, you know, the same stories as I do. We just read about one in the paper in my district around the corner from where I live, Butter and Crumble, uh, where the uh, new business wanted to put in a bakery and were told that there was a state law that required a water heater and that the only way that water heater could be installed was to put pipe four stories up a building and that was the advice of DBI, and that was prohibitively costly, and that turned out not to be true. And so what drives people crazy is not when they are told you can't have a gas station in this neighborhood because it's not zoned that way, or you can't have adult entertainment in that neighborhood because it's not zoned that way. What drives them crazy is when they get totally different responses and they actually, uh, here, I'll tell you another story, um, which is, we had a big fire in North Beach, this was a long time ago, and we uh, got the business relocated, and then they couldn't open up because apparently they had to have a, uh, this is our last item, a sidewalk encroachment permit, and they couldn't get a response from the Bureau of Street Use and Mapping at Public Works. Uh, and it wasn't until my chief of staff actually went to the permit counter herself um, that it turned out they didn't need a minor sidewalk encroachment permit, and that held them up a couple of months while they're paying rent. Same story. I mean, uh, I have a staff member who 
ran an incredible cafe on Russian Hill, Hill uh, the Chameleon Cafe, which would still be in business if her, uh, I'm not sure if this is an appropriate uh, thing to say, but her uh, greedy landlord didn't kick her out thinking that he was gonna get higher rents and the last I checked that place is still vacant. Um, but in her case, uh, she couldn't get a permit unless, um, she was told she couldn't get a permit unless she completely redid her counter to be ADA accessible, uh, which was cost prohibitive. And actually, it turned out uh, that the advice she was getting from DBI was completely wrong, and there was a way to make the counter ADA accessible with uh, very minimal effort, with a slight change to the drawing. That's where the rubber hits the road. I mean, I'm happy to do these things, um, but I really think that what we need is for the departments that, and I'm talking about public works, and I'm talking about building inspection primarily, uh, that need, and, and yeah, and, and health permits that need to give consistent advice, that have to run like a Swiss clock, Swiss watch, um, that do not. And that <laughs> is where people lose their sanity and an incredible amount of time and money. Um, so I, I don't want us to all think that you know, this is the holy grail, and when we say that there's more flexible permitting, that everybody's problems are going to go away, the problems are really in these kind of arbitrary and sometimes capricious or, you know, not well-educated departments, and I'm, you know, sorry, I know, and, and quite frankly, I mean, my office has a cottage industry of walking people through the process when they're getting screwed, and then all of a sudden when a supervisor calls up, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, it gets bumped up the chain to somebody who knows what's going on, and it gets fixed, and we've just, we've got to do uh, better than that. Um, you know, we, we've been grappling with the dearth of public serving laundromats, and as we delved into that issue and uh, tried to figure out ways to preserve uh, laundromats. I mean, the obvious thing was go do zoning and say that you need a CU in order to go out of the laundromat business. Uh, but when we went to DB, we started hearing complaints from people, and it turns out that the way to get a laundromat permitted at DBI was remarkably onerous, and all they had to, and they, and they, you had to hire uh, an architect in order to turn in drawings for a laundromat, um, which was ridiculous. And all it took, although it took a dang year, was for DBI to change their internal checklist, and now it's simple. And so, I mean, these, and the political dynamic in this town is finger pointing, you know, generally by the mayor towards the Board of Supervisors. And I just want to say it for the record, a lot of this is in our own departments and is done by regulation and departmental staff and is not a subject of law. I mean, this today is, um, but I just want to say that I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of, you know, why don't you guys go fix your departments and the permitting that have nothing to do with this Board of Supervisors or legislation. So thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Um, uh, and um, then as to what uh, Katie, what Ms. Tang was talking about, Director Tang was talking about, um, just because of <laughs> the way this rolled out, which is the changes to the proposed changes are going to be very, very difficult for us or any member of the public to understand because there was language that is being stricken out, that was stricken out, that is now being replaced. The easiest way to do this 
is to have a piece of substitute legislation so everybody can actually be working off the same original laws and it'll be just way easier um, given the number of changes that uh, I'm ready to adopt today for discussion purposes. Um, but maybe, and I spoke to Director Tang earlier, that a substitute of the whole, if the city attorney will do it quickly, can be introduced forthwith and then everybody will actually be able to understand it because this thing is going to be really hard for anybody to make heads or tails out of. Thank you. Supervisor Ronan. Thank you. I, I want to start out by saying I, I also support this legislation and, and specifically want to thank Director Tang uh, for reaching out and really working closely with uh, the mission community, um, which often, you know, has special rules uh, to maintain uh, the, the working class um, and, uh, you know, low to middle income uh, environment in, in some of the commercial corridors and uh, really appreciate you for taking that seriously and for working um, to specifically address uh, each of the changes and how it would might look a little bit different in the Mission District. Um, I do want to mention that uh, the current restaurant cap, restaurant and bar cap in the Mission um, 167 restaurants we have not yet met. So even though we are increasing that amount, we haven't even met the current cap. So I, you know, I think that uh, is important to note in terms of we, we believe in the overall um, point of this legislation and do support it. I want to end just by saying to President Peskin that I could not agree with you more. In fact, I was having a conversation with a constituent about just this issue the other day. And I threw out there uh, that maybe we need to pass legislation making the department pay restitution to a business when they give them wrong or, or conflicting information. Uh, because that is by far, I can, I can attest and agree, the biggest frustration of businesses in my district. They're told one thing, um, you know, by building inspections and then told something completely different by DPH and then something completely different by fire and trying to figure out a what they have to do and then b how to, um, it, you know, after they they've done all the work and wasted all the time and spent all the money to comply with DBI to then be told later on in the process that that was actually the wrong uh, advice in the first place is just, I, I mean, I can imagine how maddening that, that must be. And like Director Tank said, many of these businesses are small business. They're using all their savings um, to, you know, launch their dream. And uh, every single month that they're not bringing in any revenue and spending down all their savings to open this business on rent, it's just devastating. And, and we have countless, countless stories countless stories of, uh, of, of this problem in our district. So I just, I, it was so refreshing to hear you say that, President Peskin. Um, I've been having these similar conversations. I want to take it up a notch and hold the departments responsible um, because it just happens so often. And the fact that the three departments do not coordinate together and make small business owners' lives miserable and, and oftentimes make it impossible for them to open the business in the first place is unacceptable. 
Uh, it's a problem that can be fixed. It's not one that needs legislation, but perhaps we need legislation <laughs> that requires them to compensate the business owner to get them to actually do what they should have done ages ago. So uh, I'll be looking into that and I uh, just wanted to put that on the record now. Thank you. Um, so uh, thank you, uh, Director Tang, for this uh, piece of legislation. I think it's really great. Um, I, like my colleagues, uh, have experienced the frustration of uh, business owners in my district. Um, this uh, piece of legislation will help, you know, a bit, uh, but then there's all this other stuff that will come after. And I, I just feel compelled to read a text that I got a couple of weeks ago from a business owner uh, on Ocean Avenue who has a, a restaurant that they are uh, seeking to expand. It's been very successful. It's a place where all the neighborhoods meet, People bring their kids. There's entertainment on weekends and good food. Uh, and, you know, it has basically changed the entire corridor. It's a place where City College faculty and students go to hang out. So he writes me, I am heartbroken, Mirna. No need to respond. Just want you to know that come January, it will have been five years for my project, which is expansion into the, you know, storefront next door to make his space bigger. And I will be $780,000 in debt. All I wanted to have was a bigger space and to utilize what we already own so that we could be in the neighborhood um, for our entire lives. Plus, more with all of the back and forth, inspectors pointing fingers at each other, relentless changes that trigger other changes, different ideas of what needs to be changed from each different inspector or agent that looks at the plans or comes for an inspection, no consistency, not helpful, not supportive, anti-small business, anti-humane treatment, pro-elite, anti-logic, anti-common courtesy, that's the San Francisco way. So this text actually broke my heart, you know, because this is somebody that, you know, I care for, <laughs> you know, he's a constituent, but it's also a place that's special and magical to the neighborhood and adds so much to our lives, you know, in District 7. So I, um, you know, this legislation would address some of his issues because he is merging two storefronts and, you know, expanding his space, but some of the other ones it does not. So the coordination, like my colleague said, um, is something that we just must address. I am hoping that the two staff people that you hired can do a little bit to do this coordination. Um, and I agree with uh, Supervisor Ronan. Like, let's let's help you do that. Let's have some teeth <laughs> in this, um, and also put the resources to to help folks. You know, with this coordination, so that everybody can be on the same page and support small businesses, so they don't have to pay rent uh, for five years you know, to try to expand their space. So um, with that, um, I, okay, uh, Pr President Peskin, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was also gonna say, I mean, it's the way we deal with this as a city is instead of holding people accountable to good, professional, compassionate customer service, is that instead what we do is we hire more people to guide these people through the system but, and by the way, there are some building inspectors who go above and beyond the call, actually not above and beyond the call of duty, act in a way that is helpful and compassionate. And there has to be a full scale change in these cultures that has to be led by their bosses who work for the mayor. 
Thank you, President Peskin. So with that, I will um, make a motion that we adopt the amendments as uh, uh, oh. I'm sorry, we have to take public comment first. So <laughs> let's do that, and I will make a motion to adopt your amendments at Director Tang, and then we will continue it um, a little bit to uh, figure out if we can substitute it. We may not need to. Simplify. Yeah, okay, let's have public comment on this item. If you have public comment on agenda item number three, please line up along the western wall of this room and then come forward to the lectern when there is space. You may begin. Yes, you must simplify. Uh, the, the, remember, the times have changed. We, we are out of the pandemic of unintelligence. So we, you must simplify. Uh, this piece of legislation sh seems like the big business are going to buy everything. Huh? So it feels like it. So again, uh, remember, the future of San Francisco is no weaponization of anything. Anything. So you must declare your conflict of interest for whatever you are paid for to do, whoever you are working for. That's transparency. Then the goal is very easily, uh, more easily achieved, uh, attained. So otherwise, you create confusions. Yeah, like what just you mentioned. To create, uh, I mean, people are wasting their time here. Yeah. You have to. Uh, uh, prioritize sorry, the small business. Otherwise, the confusion is going to make that the big business are going to buy everything. So it's no good. Sorry, this is not the future for San Francisco, by the way. It's like I said, it's transparency. Thank you, Terry. Phil, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, San, Fr uh, San Francisco Supervisors. Uh, Eric Brooks with uh, the local grassroots organization, Our City San Francisco. Um, the little fixes like this are nice, but they're nipping around the edges. And really, we've got to face what the actual problem is with small businesses being able to survive in San Francisco. Uh, and that's corporate and speculator ownership of our land in San Francisco, of the land that our small businesses on, the building that our small businesses are in, and the land that our residential properties are in. I had a great uh, organic vegetable shop in my district uh, for years, and this was before COVID. He went out of business. And he said, it's because they raised the rent. So <clears throat> until we have, at the beginning at least, commercial rent control and vacancy commercial rent control, and then increase the vacancy taxes, which uh, a member of this committee was good enough to help pass, uh, until they're so onerous on these big corporate landlords that they get out of the business, and then most importantly, get a full public bank off the ground so that the city of San Francisco and cooperatives, instead of Wall Street corporations and Wall Street investors, can own all the property in San Francisco. We need to get these corporate owners out of the city or the small businesses will be struggling for the rest of time. Thanks. Thank you, Eric Brooks, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please?
Yeah, my name is Sharon Nakatsalkan. I don't really know the law. If there's specific amount of vacant of um, commercial properties and residential properties, but when I was listening to the beginning of the introduction of this, I was thinking why, especially in Chinatown, I've seen on TV and the news that there's so many SROs for families with children have one SRO. And uh, I'm wondering, Chinatown, the mission, why not use those empty spaces instead of for more buildings for residential areas? Where is this city going? Are you guys going to have businesses, small or large? And I usually support small businesses. I know a lot of the small business owners where I live in the mission. Are, you gonna, are they the ones that they have the most money to donate for elections? Are they the ones that that come before the residents, the people of San Francisco? Is going to be a city where there's already 300 millionaires and 75 billionaires? Or is it, where are the working people going to go? Is the 160,000 um, 160, to 240,000 apartments which apply for that, you got to make that amount to qualify for affordable housing and the proposed legislation which we discuss next? Where are the people supposed to go to walk in so they can work and live there? Where are we supposed to go? I'm ashamed. When I came here, oh, my father bought a house in Bruno House for 160000 now. That house has to be remodeled over a million dollars. And who sets the laws? The people we vote for. And I'm ashamed that this city has so much disregarded the homeless, the working poor, everybody for the profits of the corporations and small businesses, yeah, they're hurting too. But when they complain, Speaker they complain against concluded. the homeless. Thank you, Yolanda. Thank you, Yolanda, for sharing your comments. We could get this next speaker who's up front at the other microphone, please. Oh, th thank you very much. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is George Wooding. I wanted to share a different uh, perspective with you. Earlier, you stated that we should hire more people to help facilitate the process. I couldn't disagree more. What you really need to do is have a meritocracy in City Hall. You need to get rid of people who give bad advice. You're going to have $850 million budget deficit in the next two years and you're gonna be cutting six to eight percent of your workers as it is. So at this point, maybe you should start looking and training your best workers as opposed to hiring more workers that you will only be getting rid of in the very near future. Thank you. Thank you, George Wooding, for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Hello, supervisors. In addition to the proposed changes, I'd like to request a conditional use authorization for bars, restaurants, and entertainment venues with ABC licenses to be removed from the planning code on all citywide commercial corridors. In addition, the bogus cap on eating and drinking places to be removed from Mission Street Corridor. And this time, be sure to not leave Mission out like how you left it out of Prop H behind closed doors and away from voters' eyes. 
These types of decisions are made through the district supervisor's offices in conjunction with nonprofits that make decisions for small businesses in the name of community. We do respect to some of the staff members of these organizations who do achieve great things for the people that are holding the small business community, musicians, artists, performers, food and beverage industry workers back. Why is the process of opening a restaurant, bar, or a music venue the same as a large-scale urban ag agriculture, hotel, hospital, and gas station? Service and entertainment industry workers need jobs now. Why are we consulting organizations who have absolutely no idea how to open, operate, and thrive as a small business, let alone understand economy and what it means to be si sitting for months, if not years, burning cash flow and not creating jobs because the nonprofit doesn't like your wall colors or food menu, or the neighbor doesn't like the type of music your business plays, or, com uh, or competing business doesn't want to see your success, Oh, and God forbid two techies met in a random cafe a decade ago, and now we got to make sure to bring down the cafe, its owners and workers. These political power plays when it comes to decision-making for small businesses and commercial corridors are, are unethical and abuse their positions to obtain an undue advantage. Not only are they not helping the growth of a community, but they're harming the service industry workers who are majority immigrants and or creatives. Thank you for sharing your Let's comments. Let's not the forget committee. the road to hell. We need to move on to the next speaker. Sorry to cut the speaker off, but we do have to make sure that each person who's providing comments constrain their comments to the two-minute limit so we keep them equitable. Let's have the next speaker, please. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, again, I'm Janet Tarlov uh, from the San Francisco Council of District Merchants Association. I'll just read briefly from the letter we submitted, uh, letter of support in, uh, for this ordinance. As small businesses in San Francisco adapt to the post-COVID realities, such as ever-growing online commerce, significant increases in the cost of doing business, changing customer patterns, and a rapidly evolving business climate, we urgently require assistance so that many of our commercial corridors can begin to thrive again. The city's planning code is notorious for its Byzantine nature and many regulations which were historically developed with a hyper-local focus, prioritizing public input and implementing multi-step processes that can take many months to accomplish. The unintended consequences of these many regulations are unnecessary barriers for new businesses to lease and occupy a space and restrictions on business owners that wish to make changes in response to new circumstances. All of this leads to vacant storefronts that can cripple a neighborhood. This ordinance seeks to remove barriers and simplify the planning codes that, so that small businesses can do what they do best, in, innovate and serve the public, uh, and that uh, is our, um, our comment. I just want to speak personally uh, in support of uh, what President Peskin said about uh, agencies. Um, I owned a business uh, in San Francisco for 16 years and uh, working with um, DPW, uh, the Department of Public Health, has become increasingly difficult and um, and uh, it really needs to be addressed. So thank you. Thank you, Janet Tarlov, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Simon Bertrang. I am the executive director of SF New Deal, a nonprofit organization launched in March 2020 uh, as a rapid response to COVID. 
We strengthen neighborhoods by making it easier for under-resourced small business owners to succeed, and to date, we have dispersed close to $40 million to 955 small businesses in all 11 supervisorial districts. SF New Deal is in full support of the entire package of proposed changes to the planning code. We believe that the host of changes to the planning code, enumerated in detail uh, by Director Tang, will make it easier for small businesses to both open and operate in San Francisco, including making it easier to open new storefronts and allowing small businesses greater flexibility to adapt to the changing economic environment post-pandemic. Our small businesses are key to the culture and economic vibrancy that will fuel the city's recovery from the pandemic. By making it easier for small businesses to thrive and grow, we can start to fill vacant storefronts and strengthen our neighborhoods. Our vision for San Francisco is a vibrant, uh, vibrant one with diverse and thriving small businesses. Please vote to approve the legislation before you today. But finally, while I believe this legislation will genuinely help, I want to thank Supervisor Ronin, President Peskin, Chair Melgar, for servicing the tremendous frustration that small business owners feel and the extraordinary costs uh, that they incur. I agree with Chair Melgar, it, it is heartbreaking and there is such a desperate need for better interagency coordination and for accountability across the board. And I look forward to working with both the city and the community to make that happen. Thank you. Thank you, Simon Bertrang, for sharing your comments with the committee. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number three? Madam Chair. Okay, with that public comment on this item is now closed. Okay, now I'd like to make a motion that we adopt the amendments. Did you, come on up, Director Tate. Thank you. Um, apologies that there are uh, two additional amendments um, that are not on your summary sheet here. Uh, so one is that in the Folsom Street NCT, we had a little bit of an error on uh, the control for the third story for non-retail professional services. So we just want to make a change to uh, make it convert back to what it was in or is currently under planning code. So basically that's non-retail professional services on the third floor of the Folsom Street NCT. Keep that as not permitted, as it currently is. Um, the second one, um, so as part of the amendment summary that we provided all of you, uh, we have stated that we were striking out all the changes made to limited commercial uses, that's LCUs, as well as limited corner commercial uses, LCCUs. What we'd like to propose uh, today is to allow for, again, as part of the originally introduced legislation, uh, limited corner commercial uses uh, in RH districts that would exclude formula retail uh, and would also uh, conform to use size limitation, so 1,200 square feet. Um, that is under sections, planning code sections 186, tables 209.1, 209.2, and section 231. So these were changes that originally we proposed, we're scaling it back to, uh, or would like to propose to the committee today to allow, again, for limited corner commercial uses with those uh, restrictions in place. Um, and so those are um, the two additional amendments. Uh, thank you, Director Tang. Uh, President Peskin. So just a couple of questions. One is in the economic analysis, and it was kind of weird that there was an economic analysis, but there it was. Uh, Mr. Egan, as to this provision, contends that this provision would actually lead to the loss, albeit not grand in scale, of some residential units. But may 
now have reversed. Do you want to speak to that? Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, there was indeed an economic impact study or report done on this. Um, there are actually controls in place existing uh, in planning code that speak to um, converting residential units to, to commercial or non-residential uses. Uh, I know we have planning staff here. Uh, I would like to either call up maybe Veronica just I, to respond. I also to want oh, to point out yes. that we have um, Asim Khan here from the controller's office as well uh, ready to online he's online yes so, so I guess and that gets me to the second question just as before Veronica comes up which is you were for it before you were against it before you were for it again can you kind of lead us through why sorry the limited commercial corner yeah uses? I mean it, you propose it then you unproposed it and now you're reproposing it. Can yes. you just walk us through your on and off again thinking around this issue? Uh, it had to do with conversations with uh, various supervisors' offices, but um, originally a part of it was also tied to some changes to outdoor activity areas. We're removing the outdoor activity area changes in this legislation. So originally we were just gonna strike all of it together at once, but um, knowing that there's still a desire uh, to allow for uh, residents, especially in areas that are um, RH districts, to be able to benefit from corner stores, uh, we'd like to propose to, to at least just add that provision in there and not, um, not limited commercial uses, which is LCUs, just the LCCUs, which is limited corner commercial uses. I know they sound similar, but I'm sure planning can clarify how they're different. Yeah, and, and just from a practical standpoint, so like the neighborhood I live in has a lot of commercial corner stores in what are otherwise fully residential districts, and most of them are what planning aficionados referring, refer to as existing non-conforming uses, and they've been there as long as any of us have been around, and they're passed on from generation to generation or sold to new folks, and as long as they're not abandoned, they continue, and that's kind of the experience largely in the residential areas in the part of town that I represent. But I presume that if they weren't pre-existing commercial corner store uses, that they would be residential. So I'm trying to reconcile the notion that allowing this wouldn't in the future displace existing residential. And if that's the case, why not just say that all of the existing limited corner commercial uses that exist continue to exist, which is already what we do. That is already what we do. Um, so I think this is also taking into consideration uh, legislation contemplated by the board already around um, future development in RH districts. Uh, but also we're talking about ground floor. So typically you would not see residential use on the ground floor. Um, but again, I'd love to bring up um, first planning staff to talk about the existing regulations that deal with displacement of residential units. Welcome, Ms. Flores. Thank you, um, Chair Melgar, Veronica Flores, Planning Department staff. So there's a few items I wanted to cover. The first related to the limited corner commercial uses, the LCCUs. These are currently only allowed within the RM3, RM excuse me, RM4 and I believe the RTO districts. So these districts have or allow um, higher uses within the zoning district. 
what the ordinance proposes to do is now allow, <clears throat> excuse me, allow these LCCUs within the RH districts and the RM1 and RM2 districts. And so that's the piece where there, as Director Tang mentioned, there would still be the use size limitations. So it is a new avenue afforded to these other um, lower um, use districts. And as a part of that, there, um, this does not bypass any of the residential um, or demolition of residential uses that would still be in place. It would be very hard to lose the housing stock. Um, today, any proposal for um, the removal of a residential unit or any proposal for um, a project that's tantamount to demolition still has to go through the full conditional use authorization, um, make the case, make the presentation in front of planning commission. So all of that would still be set in place. The change here is again just allowing a new opportunity for those there's corner stores in the um, primarily residential districts. And um, just to confirm, um, President Peskin, what you had um, inquired about the LCUs. So yes, those are existing. Those are the uses that have been essentially grandfathered in once zoning changes have taken effect. So those can continue as they are, um, so long as they're not abandoned, so long as they're not intensified, but they act in a similar fashion where it is a non-residential use or a commercial use within the primarily residential districts. So those are a couple aspects I wanted to cover. Can I pause there and see if there was something else um, that I should discuss as well? No, I'm just happy that the state of California is allowing us to continue to make it difficult to remove residential units. Thank you, Ms. Flores. Uh, okay, now, uh, Director, um, <laughs> is it okay if I make the motion to, <laughs> we're all good. Okay, I'd like to make a motion that we adopt the amendments that have been submitted by uh, the Director of the Office of Small Business plus the two amendments that she just read into the record. Motion has been offered by the chair. Before we take the roll call on that, I just want to acknowledge that there has been a change of the House. Member Ronan, temporary member Ronan, was appointed until 3 p.m. and has now left and will not be a voting member for the rest of the meeting. The motion is now to amend as presented by member uh, Chair Melgar on that motion, member Preston, uh, Peskin. Uh, aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition. Okay, so uh, I'd like to make a motion that we continue this item to November 27th. On the motion to continue as amended to November 27th, Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition once again. Thank you. Um, before we go on to our last item, can we take a two-minute uh, break? Yeah, and because I we're down. Uh, I, and I can appoint Supervisor Mandelman. Am I allowed to appoint Supervisor yeah. Mandelman? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. I know you've been waiting, Sorry, but we're down, and so we need to take a little bio break. Thank you. Meeting will stand in recess until no sooner than 3.25 p.m.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, folks, we're going to be back in session now. If you could take a seat. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Clerk, uh, please call item number four. Thank you, Madam Chair. Before I call item number four, I just want to real quick acknowledge that we've had another house change and that President Peskin has appointed Supervisor Mandelman as a temporary member of this committee for the remainder of the meeting. Thank you. Welcome, Supervisor Mandelman. Agenda item number four is an ordinance amending the planning code to encourage housing production by first exempting under certain conditions specified housing projects from the notice and review procedures of section 311 and the conditional use requirement of section 317 in areas outside of priority equity geographies which are identified in the housing element as areas or neighborhoods with a high density of vulnerable populations and areas outside of residential house districts within the family housing opportunity special use district. Second, removing the conditional use requirement for several types of housing projects, including housing developments on large lots in areas outside the priority equity geographies special use district, projects to build to the allowable height limit, projects that build additional units in lower density zoning districts, and senior housing projects that seek to obtain double density subject to certain exceptions in residential housing districts in the family housing opportunity special use district. Third, amending rear yard, front setback, lot frontage, minimum lot size, and residential open space requirements in specified districts subject to certain exemptions in residential housing districts in the Family Housing Opportunity Special Use District. Fourth, allowing additional uses on the ground floor in residential buildings, homeless shelters, and group housing in residential districts, and administrative review of reasonable accommodations. Fifth, expanding the eligibility of the Housing Opportunities Means Equity San Francisco Home SF program and density exceptions in residential districts. Sixth, exempting certain affordable housing projects from certain development fees. Seventh, authorizing the planning director to approve state density bonus projects subject to delegation from the planning commission. And eighth, making conforming amendments to other sections of the planning code, amending the zoning map to create the priority equities geography special use district amending the subdivision code to update the condominium conversion requirements for projects utilizing residential density exceptions in residential housing districts and affirming the appropriate findings throughout the ordinance. Thank you, uh, Mr. Clerk. Um, so I know that we have had a number of hearings on this item already. Um, in summary, so far this committee has adopted amendments uh, that I presented before to preserve much of the housing that was done to incentivize the creation of up to four units and streamline it in the Family Housing Opportunity Use District, um, you know, which we passed. Um, we also adopted some other technical amendments. Uh, last week, uh, the uh, state HCD issued a letter uh, sort of warning us that we could uh, fall out of compliance with the housing element because of those amendments. And the week prior to that, they issued a report uh, about our practices in review, um, which uh, mandated that we change some of the things that we are doing in our city. Um, there has been uh, a lot of uh, feedback to this committee that we must uh, approve this uh, as soon as possible. I want to go through the reasons why we cannot. 
Um, in addition to that letter in that report, there have been several pieces of legislation uh, at the state that have been signed into law by the governor a couple weeks ago that may or may not affect both the timeline and the substance of the legislation that's before us. Um, and we have not had the time to get guidance from our city attorney uh, on how those affect the amendments that we've made, the legislation, and how to proceed. Um, and we cannot go forward without that guidance. Um, I also want to respond to um, the threat that was made uh, by the H.C. Lee letter, which um, in my uh, lay reading was factually incorrect as to at least my amendments and the SUD um, that we have already passed. Um, and that, you know, we may fall out of compliance with those. Uh, as has been pointed out multiple times, uh, both our housing element and SB 423, both specifying that streamlining should not apply to the demolition of rent control units, which is what we're trying to do. Um, that being said, we have done a number of things to address some of the things that were in that letter before the letter was sent, um, and that is to reconcile the mayor's legislation with the SUD that we passed. We have been working hard on those amendments and working completely collaboratively with uh, the planning department staff. Thank you so much uh, for your support. Um, those amendments are still under review by the city attorney's office because of the reasons that I just stated. Um, and I also believe that Supervisor Mandelman has some uh, amendments that he would like to propose that also fall under the category of, you know, what happens uh, under this new regime, the new legislation, and that also needs to be reviewed by the city attorney. So with that, uh, we do have uh, Mr. Starr here from uh, the planning department. Um, I don't know if he has anything to add, but my uh, intention is that we continue this item until November 27th uh, so that the city attorney has time to uh, review the um, guidance from HCD, the report, uh, the multiple pieces of legislation that uh, may affect this process um, so that we may be uh, deliberate and stay in compliance with HCD and do what we can do and at the same time be transparent uh, with the public on everything else. Um, so uh, did you have anything else to add, Mr. Starr? Uh, I mean, you covered it pretty well. Um, I would just say that besides kind of reconciling the two, we're also looking at uh, narrowing the scope of 311 exceptions um, and uh, conforming the 317 exceptions to your ordinance um, and uh, revisiting the CU for over 40 feet in RH district. So those are sort of the main three topics other than just um, making the two programs more simpatico. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Starr. Um, I, uh, uh, Supervisor Mandelman, thank you for joining us today and for working on this issue. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair um, and President Peskin, and um, uh, happy to be back here. I, I, I uh, think that uh, taking a little bit of time to work through both the amendments that have already been made by many you know, by you, by the mayor, as well as the amendments that I am trying to propose, it makes a lot of sense. And I do think that 
um, the guidance from HCD has at least complicated things um, and requires us to think some about both amendments already made and amendments to be offered. Um, I do think that uh, on the topic of rent control, you have shown a pathway for us to take that I think is important, not just in the SUD that um, you authored, but uh, for um, you know for all the rent controlled units um, that we're that we are concerned about losing. Um, I have more amendments. I have heard the feedback and the desire from uh, from city staff um, uh, to kind of get everything aligned, and so I am not going to propose most of the amendments that I would like to see in this, although I've described them, they're not going to be a secret. Um, uh, the one amendment that I would like for, or set of amendments that I would like for this committee to consider today um, relate to the uh, SUDs, the Central Neighborhood Special Use District SUD and the Corona Heights Special Use District SUD in District 8. My predecessors, including Senator Weiner when he was on the Board of Supervisors, um, had labored mightily for many years to try to get a handle on the challenge of monster homes in District 8. Um, Senator Weiner in 2017 passed the Corona Heights Special Use District, um, which relied on a CU um, for buildings greater than 3,000 square feet in uh, a portion of the district that was seeing um, a rash of demolitions and the creation of these very large single-family homes. Um, I proposed uh, another approach, which was a limitation on unit size, um, but still relying on a CU for a part of it uh, for, for, for units between 3,000 and 4,000 square feet. So we have these two SUDs um, in District 8 that are aiming at trying to prevent monster homes. And I am not eager and see a real potential for our streamlining legislation becoming the streamlining of monster homes in District 8. I would like to not see that happen. The combination of this streamlining legislation and SB 423, which will make CUs potential, and I don't think it's for sure that these CUs lose their effect at the end of 2024, but I think there's a distinct possibility that they could. Um, I think we ought to do away with those CUs um, and switch to just an, a, a cap that will be clearer for everyone. I think that actually is in line um, with what we're hearing about having objective standards, not you know trying to not clog, clog up our approval processes. The trouble with the amendments that I have circulated uh, to this committee, um, which I can describe or read into the record if folks want me to do that, um, or if it's okay that we just circulated them, that's good too. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Supervisor Mendel, you're referring to the amendments that you would like to make, not the Monster Homes Amendment? The, 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 oh, okay. the, the, the trouble with the Monster Home Amendments that okay. got circulated by my staff yesterday um, uh, is from the perspective of the timely passage of, <laughs> of, 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 of a streamlining ordinance is that these were not discussed in front of the Planning Commission. Um, the Planning Commission considered this uh, well before SB 423. Um, and uh, and so um, this this potential solution to the the SU the uh, monster home SUD problem um, would need to get referred back to the planning commission for their consideration. And so what I'm hoping that we can do um, is, uh, if you are if the members of this committee are so inclined, um, pass the amendments that I've uh, well duplicate the file. <laughs> take one of the files 
and make the amendments that I am proposing to that file. Then send that duplicated file back to planning for them to have a look at, and it would be my hope that planning staff and the commission will be expeditious in doing that. And while everything else about this ordinance gets worked out here, um, planning, com planning commission can at least weigh in if they want to on that, on, on those changes. Okay, that's, that sounds good to me. Um, and then, you know, the original file, we will continue to November 27th. Um, and it's November 27th because that's the two weeks that I think we need from the city attorney. And then there's this Thanksgiving break where nobody's working. So, you know, it just is what it is. That's like the earliest opportunity uh, that we can bring that back. And hopefully we will have guidance from the city attorney and, you know, whatever amendments can be approved as to form will be approved as to form at that time. Okay, so with that, uh, Mr. Clerk, let's take public comment on this item. I will limit public comment to one minute since we've already heard this multiple times. Um, and, you know, uh, please speak to the continuance. Thank you. Members of the public who have public comment on agenda item number four, please line up to speak along the western side of this room. Um, and as the chair indicated, we'll have one minute for public comment on this item. Please begin. Good afternoon again, Supervisors. Eric Brooks, Our City San Francisco and San Francisco CEQA Defenders. One minute under all these different changes and dynamics that are happening is kind of unacceptable, but we'll go with it. Um, the, I've heard loud and clear from every single neighborhood group, environmental group, eastern neighborhoods groups, you name it, the people that I'm working on this coalition with and coordinating this coalition for, none of them want you to amend this legislation. They want you to scrap it, gut it, and do a substitution that's written by supervisors who actually give a damn about their constituents, not by the mayor's office. With all of these ultimatums and new laws coming down from the state, we cannot afford to have the mayor be the driver of this process, and I know it's a tough election year, but we need the supervisors to do the work. That's why we elected you. Thank you, Eric Brooks, for sharing your comments with the committee. Let's have public comment from the other microphone now. Mr. Wooding. Good afternoon. Uh, I'd like to address Super Mendelman, who was trying to amend the mayor's housing legislation to exempt rent-controlled homes in two plus unit buildings, but his amendments only go as far as allowing notifications and CUs for demolition of such homes and not the alternative alterations and remodels that are the major cause of renovations leading to tenant displacement. I would like to see Supervisor Melgar's CU legislation, which will protect rent-controlled homes. Thank you. Thank you, George Wooding, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hello, Supervisors. David Wu with Soma Filipinas. We ask that the Land Use Committee reject this legislation and focus instead on implementing the half of the housing element that has continued to be neglected. We ask that the board and this committee focus on legislation that prioritizes affordable housing, protects tenants, and retains the voices of communities in Soma and across the city. The South of Market has already historically experienced 
targeted demolition and displacement to tear down housing of working class residents in order to rebuild a SOMA for the privileged and wealthy. The proposed legislation works to, to do the same in San Francisco. To paint it in any other light, as HCD attempts to do with its continued attacks, is a distortion of reality. We ask you to please focus on affordability and preventing, not promoting displacement. Thank you. Thank you, David Wu, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Chair Malgar and Supervisors Peskin and Mandelman, Jantel Labyrintho with the Rep Coalition. Despite the hard work that has gone into amendments, this legislation still fails to address the housing that is required by the housing element and by the vast majority of San Franciscans, housing that is truly affordable. As such, we strongly urge this committee to reject this streamlining legislation as it fails to put affordable housing first, sufficiently protect tenants against displacement, and value the voices of historically marginalized communities. The recently released report from HCD urges to pass efforts to streamline, including this ordinance, but fails to acknowledge and demand urgent action on the dozens of equity and AFFH actions already in the housing element that they approved in January, including actions to commit new funding to affordable housing, acquire sites and identify funding for land acquisition and land banking, and strengthening the voices of low-income communities and communities of color in approval processes. We hope this committee will continue to work with our communities to write new legislation to implement the housing element to affirmatively further fair housing and center racial and social equity. Thank you, Jantel Labyrintho, for sharing your comments to the committee. Thank you. I will just stay here to support with uh, consecutive We have to hear from the next speaker, please. Thank you. Buenas tardes, eh, Presidente Melgar y Supervisores. Mi nombre es Jaime Fonseca. Soy eh, Consejero de Derechos de Vivienda de Dolores Street Community Service. Y en esta ocasión, pues, quiero aprovechar la oportunidad para exponer nuestro punto de vista respecto a la legislación que se está pretendiendo aprobar, ya que de aprobarse esta legislación se estaría moviendo a nuestra ciudad en la dirección opuesta de la equidad racial y social, atentando con la demolición de viviendas, por lo que consideramos que la legislación debería ser encaminada, no debería estar encaminada a lo que es el desplazamiento de inquilinos y dar prioridad a la vivienda asequible, por lo que solicitamos que se rechace y se comience a trabajar con la comunidad bajo de bajos ingresos, promoviendo una vivienda justa. Good afternoon, Chairman Melgar and Supervisors. I am Jaime Fonseca from Dolores Street Community Services. I want to take this opportunity to present our point of view regarding the legislation that is being approved, since if this is approved legislation, it would be moving our city in the opposite direction of racial and social equity, encouraging the demolition of housing, which is why we consider that this legislation is aimed at displacing tenants and does not prioritize affordable housing, which is why we request to reject it and begin to work with low-income communities promoting fair housing. Thank you. Thank you, Jaime Fonseca, for sharing your comments to the committee. Thank you very much for the interpretation of the comments. Can we get the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. My name is Sandra Drattler, representing Faith in Action at St. James Episcopal Church in the Richmond District and the San Francisco Land Use Coalition. We stand in solidarity with the Rep Coalition and Richmond District Rising. Despite input and comment in previous hearings and attempts to amend the mayor's original proposal, the product before you today falls short in meeting the racial and social justice components of the housing element, which should be the guiding efforts at streamlining 
the approvals process. We have adequate luxury housing. The housing production most needed is a truly affordable low-income housing that will maintain the diversity and vibrance of our city. The mayor's proposal was thrown out by her knowing there would be strong objections. Rejecting the legislation and starting over with community involvement would be the best outcome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Let's have the next speaker, please. Uh, yes, from my understanding, I don't know why the mayor and the other two have, and Gardo and Dorsey are asking for, is based on the governor's request for more housing. And again, housing for whom? The other thing is Newsom right now, I don't know if he's still in China. China provides housing for everybody. In Russia, they put the homeless in the basements. They, those countries, those systems provide housing. This system does not. And the proposed legislation is not only, apparently low income is, that's now, instead of using low income housing, the city now is just affordable. Affordable for whom? not going to be affordable for us. And I believe that only by a society like China will we have housing for everybody. So sometimes I think I'm wasting my time here, but you are elected, and maybe you want the voters out of here, so money election. time is concluded. Thank you, Yolanda, for sharing your comments. Let's get the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Jabez Wesley. I'm a D3 resident. Um, I would like to echo previous commenters who are express concerns about um, this bill with respect to affordable housing. Um, last November, or maybe it was November before that, um, there was two competing ballot propositions, D and E, and voters rejected um, Proposition D, which redefined affordable housing um, in, to include units up to 120% of area median income, which that's that's clearly not affordable, right? If your affordability is above the median, that's just you're redefining things to meet arbitrary standards. Um, we need real affordable housing in the city. Too many working people are being pushed to the suburbs, and it's killing the, the life of the city. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Chair Milgar and members of the committee. I'm Carolyn Kennedy, Chair of Dolores Heights Improvement Club and in, in District 8. Why this legislation now? Chair Milgar very eloquently addressed the issues that it raises that don't respond to our needs here in San Francisco. That I, you know, regarding the proposed legislation, specific comments I want to make are that the you reconsider these changes. The renters' protections please extend the continued 311 notification and rights to DR for buildings under rent control that are um, having alteration, alterations or remodels that often lead to tenant displacement. Reyard setbacks um, goes even further than Supervisor Melgar's legislation. Why? Home SF projects allow a substantial adverse change in the significance of a historic resource. Let's not be bullied by HCD. Please stand up for San Francisco's residents and protect and increase our affordable housing stock. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn Kennedy, for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. HCD appears to be developer captured. 
Why, why would I come to that conclusion? Well, what we need is affordable housing. And yet, what's being put forward is the wealthy, housing for the wealthy. This uh, HCD report ignores high interest rates, tens of thousands of vacant units, tens of thousands of units that have been already permitted, um, and the seismic factors, the San Francisco's the highest density in California. This committee and the entire Board of Supervisors needs to consider how to fight back on HCD's inaccurate and unreasonable demands on our city. Thank you. Thank you, Tess Walborn, for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Chair Malgar, President Peskin, Supervisor Mandelman, Charlie Shamos with Council of Community Housing Organizations. Since this board passed our housing element back in January, the city has adopted a number of measures to streamline and facilitate development. Reductions in inclusionary standards, reductions in impact fees paid by developers, streamlining provisions to increase density of market rate housing, change in policies on building and site permits, streamlining commercial properties converting to residential. Very few of the equity and affordability strategies in our housing element are moving forward. If we are to keep our commitments to the people of San Francisco and ensure that 57% of new housing production is affordable to very low, low and moderate income residents, something has to change. In its current form, this legislation is ill-equipped to address our city's affordable housing goals because it does not include meaningful protections within and expansions of priority equity geographies provisions to ensure meaningful progress in our, on our affordable housing goals and meaningful protections to prevent displacement. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie Shamas, for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Avi Gandhi, a member of the San Francisco Anti-Displacement Coalition. Um, we really appreciate Supervisor Melgar's legislation and the amendments to protect existing rent control units in her district. We hope that this can be extended citywide. We appreciate the discussion that Supervisor uh, Mandelman brought up, and we're really hoping that you can um, introduce and accept that amendment uh, even before duplicating the file if possible. Uh, it's a really important uh, change that's needed to protect existing and long-term tenants. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Catherine Howard, longtime San Francisco resident. Please oppose this legislation. It will have many adverse social, economic, environmental equity impacts. I doubt if it can be amended. Um, I'd also want to say that you forced us to travel to City Hall today to speak to you directly. We aren't allowed to call in. For me, that is over an hour each way on Muni plus Muni Fair. Maybe we should get a stipend like people who come for jury duty because we have come down here to see you. You could have announced at the beginning of the meeting that you're not voting today, but no, you didn't. So we waited around for a few hours out of respect. And then you give us one minute. Come on, guys, show us a little respect. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine Howard, for sharing your, uh, your comments. Can we get the next speaker, please? Calvin Welch, uh, housing and land use member board of the Haight-Ashbury Neighborhood Council. We are in uh, a member of the uh, REP Coalition. We support the REP Coalition's position, which calls for the uh, uh, voting down this measure and starting afresh with the emphasis being on uh, affordability and lack of displacement. It is even though one gets to deliciously look at amendments to this that come from a supervisor who's trying to defend the full-on NIMBY legislation 
of his predecessor, Wiener, in opposing mansions in his district. These are nothing but lipstick on a pig. This is a pig. Do in the pig. Let's move on to real legislation. Thank you. Thank you, Kelvin Walsh, for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. I don't understand why Mayor Breed would introduce such a poorly crafted and deceptively named bill. The mayor is the lead sponsor in this bill, but for reasons unclear, she has been absent from the in-person meetings of the three previous hearings. This bill is a mixture of unrelated legislative issues, but most worrisome and dangerous of all is her proposal to demolish irreplaceable rent-controlled housing. This bill has been misnamed. Was that one minute? No. No piece of legislation whose purpose is to demolish irreplaceable rent-controlled housing should ever be called a housing production bill. I'm surprised you even let it come before your committee. The practical effect of demolition of rent-controlled housing is permanent displacement of tenants with no guarantee of living in San Francisco rent-controlled housing ever again. Send it back, um, as the previous speaker recommended, Start all over again. Speaker's time is concluded. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon. Um, uh, my name is Oswaldo. Here, could you, I'm going I'm to start your time over. Pull that microphone right up to your face so we can hear your voice. Okay. There you go. So why remove the rent control? The main purpose of the rent, rent control and rent stabilization ordinance is to guarantee secure houses for reasonable rents and protect tenants. Studies have proven that rent stabilization reduces displacement in low-income and senior households. Why getting uh, rid of rent control? Who wants to get rid, of, rid of, rent, of rent control? The answer is non-profit organizations. Why? By buying some of the buildings, some legally and some illegally, against the will of the people that live in these buildings. Non-profit organizations uh, go door to door in the buildings telling tenants that they already are the owners. Um, by telling them and pressure them to sign new leases. These non-profit organizations are looking to make more money. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. And then if there's anyone else who wants to provide public comment on this agenda item number four, please line up along the western wall. Otherwise, we'll hear from these last two and move on. Please begin. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Steve Leeds, a D7 resident, volunteer with the Westside Tenants Association, which is a member of the Rep SF Coalition. I urge you to reject the streamlining legislation as it moves the city in an entirely opposite direction of racial and social equity that silences community input, encourages demolitions of existing housing, and threatens rent-controlled units. There are way too many flaws in this legislation, and, this, and it promotes market-rate housing, which has occurred for way too long. San Francisco must not move further down the path as a playground for the rich. While our residents are forced to leave the city 
live on the streets, reside in cars and RVs, and large numbers of people live in one apartment or home to make it affordable. Again, I strongly urge you to reject this legislation. Affordable housing only. Thank you. Thank you, Steve Leeds, for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Robert Fruckman. I'm a volunteer lead with San Francisco Yimby. I'm going to ask you to really return San Francisco to path of sanity. Uh, hearing this legislation the next time on November 27th is going to put us uh, well after the 30-day time limit, well, a few days after the 30-day time limit that HCD gave us. So we can expect a warning from HCD, and 30 days after that, we can expect the city to start to decertify our housing element, which is a scary prospect and one which we can and frankly must avoid. Uh, this, this action to delay uh, the bill takes us way too close to the brink for comfort. I don't think there's anything that we can really get out of this that we could not get if we just accede to what HD has, has told us. We agreed in our housing element to comply with the results of the Housing Policy and Practice Review. Speaker's time is concluded. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Do we have anyone further who has public comment on agenda item number four? Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, public comment on this item is now closed. I would like to make a motion that we, uh, well, we already duplicated the file, right? That's I can note a duplication of the file, yes. Uh, that we uh, did go ahead, Supervisor Manama. You were <laughs> okay. Um, I can read some amendments in, in, or at least describe where they are in the, um, in the, in what I circulated or what my staff circulated. So uh, let me collect my. Here we are. So on page one, um, lines twenty-four to twenty-five, um, there is uh, there would be language um, number eight, sunsetting the conditional use requirements established by the Corona Heights large residents and the central neighborhoods large resident special use districts at the end of 2024, and thereafter limiting the size of any dwelling units resulting from residential development in those special use districts to 3,000 square feet of gross floor area and nine. Um, and then on page five, we would add a reference to Two, sections 249.77 and 249.92. And then on page 55, um, lines 4 to 14, we would add uh, section 249.77, Corona Heights Large Resident Special Use District under G. Um, the conditional use requirement established by subsections D through F of this section 249.77 shall sunset on December 31st, 2024. After that date, no residential development or expansion of an existing residential building shall be permitted in the Corona Heights large resident special use district that would result in any dwelling unit exceeding 3,000 square feet of gross floor area. Um, and then section 249.92, Central Neighborhoods Large Residence Special Use District. And then on page 58, we would add a new H that would say the conditional use, well, we would 
uh, yes, we would add a new H, the conditional use requirement established by subsections E through F of this section 249.92 shall sunset on December 31st, 2024. After that date, for all lots zoned RH within the central neighborhood's large residence, resident special use district, no residential development or expansion of existing residential building shall be permitted that would result in any dwelling unit exceeding 3,000 square feet of gross floor area, except where the total increase of gross floor area of any existing dwelling unit is less than 15%. Um, and so that would get rid of our CUs as, the, as of the end of 2024, and we would just have a flat limit on size for individual units in those two spe special use districts. So if, if this committee is willing to amend the duplicated file, so that can then be sent, if, if that's passed, sent to the planning commission, who would be urged to look at it quickly and send it back to us quickly, or this committee quickly, I would be most appreciative. Let's go ahead and vote on that, the amendments. Can I, for the record, uh, note who the mover is on this one? Member Mandelman. Yeah. Temporary Member Mandelman has made the motion to amend the duplicated file on that motion, Member Ma Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition. Okay, that moves forward. Uh, I'd like to make a motion that we continue the original file to November 27th. On the motion to continue the original file to the land use meeting of November 27th, Member Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Uh, Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition once again. Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Clerk, do we have any other items on the There agenda? is still the final comportment of the duplicated and amended item. If you wanted to continue that to a later date, as well. it's, it's still before the committee. It has been amended. Call of the chair while it's gone to. Oh, I see. Okay. Let's do uh, 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 to the call of the chair. Okay. On a motion from the chair to continue the duplicated ordinance to the call of the chair as amended. Member Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition once again. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Now, do we have anything else on our agenda? There is no further business. Okay, thank you. We are adjourned.